It wasn't the first time, but it was the one that sticks out the most. No, not that. I'm talking about the earliest memory I have of enjoying this drink. Downtown Nashville, on the corner of Broadway and 2nd Avenue, there's a tri-level bar called Acme Feed and Seed. Yeah, bars around here have weird names like that. But this is a tiki podcast, after all, a genre not exactly known for its subtle sophistication. I was there with Kyle. Long-time listeners will remember Kyle. The two of us would often be found side-by-side side as drunken denizens posing as bon vivants in those our days of prolonged adolescence. From the rooftop in the summertime, holding a margarita, one could admire the mossy green sheen of the Cumberland River sparkling in the sun, while on the streets below, hordes of pleasantly pickled partiers used brunch as an excuse to start drinking at noon, and girls use it as an excuse to look as fancy as possible in as little clothing. This particular memory takes place one evening, though. I'm sure there were other people there as well, probably since I don't recall, it was a few of the host of ephemeral characters that passed fluidly in and out of our lives back then. I do recall one such person who ended up becoming a mainstay in my life. That's right, my future wife was there. She and Kyle both ordered a particular drink and, intrigued by the presentation and feeling left out, I followed suit. After some friendly chiding about me never having had one before, there they were, lined up on the bar, so queer looking unlike anything else being served. Cold. Crisp. Clean. The words that flood to mind upon the first sip. Yet with an intriguing herbal spice. Indicative of the spirit's homeland and aided by metallic conduction, this cocktail transports the imbiber via mind and senses, almost like this combination of ingredients was masterfully crafted on purpose to entice all facets of experiential drinking into one discriminate sip. As we will come to find out, the Moscow Mule was anything but masterfully crafted. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony, and this is Pod Tiki. Once again, I'm blown away by discovery. If doing this podcast has humbled me in any way, it's been to never judge a cocktail's origin story by its cover. Here we have another example of ingredients, presentation, and history swirling into a tipple that is far greater than the sum of its parts. A simple drink with an amazing story, as we oft find when researching cocktails where the spirit flows lie not far from misadventure. There are multiple versions of this story, each bending fondly towards the narrator. Refreshingly, though, there is a constant through line tying them all together. Like the third act of a 90s sitcom, when all the storylines resolve with a resounding ah from the audience. In this episode, there are cre- three concurrent storylines. Vodka, ginger beer, and copper mugs. Fade in. Interior. France. Cold as balls in the winter of 1934. Two men sit at a small cafe table under a flickering glow. Both men are Russian and therefore expressionless. After being exiled to France by the Bolsheviks, Vladimir had just sold off the rights to his family's vodka. 
Under Rudolf Kenachansky, the man's name was translated into the French spelling, that's two F's instead of a V, and thus began Smirnoff Vodka. Apparently, European universities hadn't discovered jello shots yet because Smirnoff was less than a hit. Actually, it was tanking. So, in 1939, the brand was sold once again to spirits importer G.F. Eublin and Brothers, under the purview of an executive named John Martin. Martin was tasked with bringing the exotic Eastern European flavors of vodka to the land of opportunity. USA, baby! Turns out, Americans really didn't care about vodka. See, prohibition had just ended. There was legal access once again to French brandy, Spanish wine, whiskey that wouldn't blind you. Not to mention there was this weirdo out in Hollywood serving cocktails with different kinds of rums mixed together. And get this, his whole place was decorated like some kind of tropical museum. That'll never catch on. Cue the laugh track, cut to commercial break. And fade in. We're back, circa 1930s Russia, interior, bedroom. Whoa, 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 whoa. Fade back out, fade back out. Wrong room, wrong room. It's the factory across the street. Okay, okay, fade in. Oh, papa, papa, you promised I make up her mug. Ah, but Sophie, we are in Russia. Why make mug so cold to hold? Sorry for my bad accent, but Sophie Berezinsky's father owned a Moscow copper company. He owned the Moscow Copper Company, and despite his chiseled exterior, he had a soft spot for young Sophie. Thus, when she asked, he let her stamp out 2,000 copper drinking mugs to try and sell. As it turns out, no one in Russia wanted to drink out of a cup that made their hands more frozen. All jokes aside, the idea may have been that a metal cup would warm your hands when filled with a hot liquid, but I imagine it would conduct too well and actually burn. Either way, Sophie and her dream and her reluctant husband set sail for the land of opportunity. USA, baby! Interior. Small apartment. California. You see, what happened was... Sophie, enough of what happened. Nothing happened. That is problem. You get mug out of house or I throw away. Cut to Sophie with a sad face and fade to commercial. Okay, we're back. Interior setting. British Irish pub. Let's go. And you think you got problems, John. It was my dream to bring the best American-made ginger beer to the people. Now I'm lousy with it and nobody wants it. Yeah, dude, that's a, that's a pretty weird dream, but I feel you, brother. Jack Morgan owned the Cock and Bull Tavern in Ocean Park, Los Angeles. He recently invested in what modern parlance would call a shit ton of ginger beer. It was good stuff, even proprietarily branded with the Cock and Bull name. But again, there's whiskey now. Plus, across town, there's a line around the building for that freaking rum place. What's it, uh, what's it called? Uh, Bob the Beach Roamers or something? Anyway, the buddy Jack Morgan was lamenting to was none other than our friend John Martin, who was still having no luck getting Smirnoff to catch on. It was on that fateful day in 1941, as the two miserable mates sat laughing at their predicaments, that in walked a small Russian woman dragging a loud 
clanking bag. Cue the audience, surprise, and fate commercial. Don't you hate when there's no bumper coming back in from commercial and you miss the entrance of the, the show because your second bag of popcorn still in the microwave? We find ourselves, our three hapless heroes, sitting at the cock and bull bar. Jack and John listening to this strange Eastern Bloc woman pitching them on the benefits of copper drinking mugs. Sophie Berezinski had been going door to door peddling her wares when she happened into the cock and bull. Legend has it, each with a plentitude of preponderant product, they joined forces. A justice league of failed businesses, if you will. Story goes they sat at the bar for hours upon hours testing recipes. That uh, incorporated John's Smirnoff with Jack's ginger beer and the novel presentation of Sophie's copper mugs. It's one of life's mysteries how some things fit together so well, it's a wonder not to always have been so. Earthy, palate-cleansing ginger, silky vodka hailing from the icy expanse, served in a metallic vessel that not only keeps the drink cold, but triggers a somatic sensation. That is, the sensation of holding the cold mug actually metaphysically transport you to a cold place. Divine providence notwithstanding, I don't believe this thruple spent hours coming up with the recipe. First of all, ginger, lime juice, and vodka, lime juice and vodka, it pretty much writes itself. I mean, if I gave you those three things and asked you to create a tasty beverage, I bet you'd nail it on the second try. Maybe the first. Second, people had been mixing ginger beer with whiskey for quite some time. They weren't mixing up the Mona Lisa over here. Mules, sometimes called bucks, are any drink made with ginger beer or ginger ale. Technically, a Moscow mule is a vodka buck. One could order a bourbon buck, a gin buck, or any buck your heart desires. Some say a mule is made with ginger beer and a buck with ginger ale, but as you hardly see the term buck being used anymore, it doesn't really matter. These styles of drink have been around since the late 19th century and actually began as non-alcoholic. See, ginger ale with a long lemon peel hung over the rim was called a horse's neck, likely the aesthetic inspiration for Don Beach's Cobra Fang. A Scotch lassie was a mixture of scotch, lime juice, and ginger beer that originated in the American South circa 1870. It was referred to as a Mamie Taylor for a time after the actress famously drank them at a bar in New York. Today, that drink has deferred to its humble beginnings and is once again just called a horse's neck. Therefore, John, Jack, and Sophie pretty much ripped off an existing cocktail and simply upgraded the presentation. A modern bartender would call that a riff and expect us to act like they're the greatest thing since Jerry Thomas. But we cannot deny the marketing prowess of John Martin. To spread the word about his new cocktail, he traveled coast to coast taking Polaroids of bartenders holding a copper mug in one hand and a bottle of Smirnoff in the other. Counting on the ego of bartenders, he knew they would hang the picture on the wall, therefore providing free advertising. It worked so well, this actually led to false claims of the drink being invented in other places. An article in 1948 puts Jack Morgan and John Martin meeting at a bar in Manhattan trying to peddle their surplus wares. 
This is all but debunked by the fact that it leaves out Sophie and her mugs altogether. Another story says it was actually a girlfriend of Jack's who inherited a copper factory which supplied the mugs. Now, this may have been the case if Sophie's Copper Connect ran dry and a new supplier was later needed. Honestly, I think Sophie's father and husband were done with her cockamamie schemes after the whole lugging 2,000 mugs across two continents debacle. Though, we don't know for certain, it's easy to assume the name came from another burst of creativity, naming the drink after the spirit's home country, the same way a mule with tequila may be called a Mexican mule. That's the drink, not the other kind of Mexican mule that carries cocaine across the border. Here in Nashville, we have mules made with white moonshine, which are quite delicious, actually. Uh, Speaking of those infamous copper cups, though they've seen a resurgence in the craft cocktail revival, they've experienced their own fall from grace. From the establishment's perspective, it's hard to keep any unique drinkware from, uh, you know, growing legs and walking away. If any of you went to a Miracle Christmas pop-up, you know that you have to return the Santa hat-wearing dinosaur mug before they'll make you a new drink. Seems there are a lot of amateur archaeologists out there. But that's not the only factor plaguing the maligned mug. In twenty or a 2017 study by the Iowa Alcoholic Beverage Division, yes, that's a thing, concluded that due to acidity the pH values of Moscow mules are such that hazardous levels of copper can dissolve into the beverage. Anyone who's seen women dressed for the club in the middle of winter knows that sometimes appearance undermines practicality. Besides, a Moscow mule without the copper mug is simply a highball. Not to fear, though. The copper mugs used in bars now are lined with stainless steel so you can once again get hammered on vodka without Worrying about the health effects? Anyway. So, what the heck is in a Moscow Mule anyway? Vodka, ginger beer, lime juice, and ice. As far as picking a vodka... Okay, get ready for a hot take that might ruffle some feathers, but it's kind of all the same to me. Look, unless that is you get a really good quality vodka that stands out apart from its counterparts. In this, I always reach for a bottle of Reka Craft Vodka made in Iceland. I've sung these praises before, but it's the only vodka in which I can taste a distinct flavor besides basic alcohol. The grain comes through, and yet there's something else. A soft vegetal humidity that is prevalent in small batch distillates. You can taste that the methods of production incorporate some kind of old-world knowledge or technique that imbues the spirit with a je ne sais quoi uncommon in mass-produced brands. Here at Pod Tiki, at least through the lens of the present, we urge you not to purchase or use Russian vodka in support of Ukraine. Which means if you want to remain pure to the origins and use Smirnoff, you're in the clear! Although the recipe came from Russia, Smirnoff has been owned by British spirits giant Diageo since 1997. Smirnoff is currently produced in the US, Canada, Great Britain, Italy, Australia, Jamaica, Brazil, Argentina, India, Indonesia, and Kenya. So, pretty much everywhere except Russia. By the way, Jamaica? Guys, look, all I'm saying is if Ray and Nephew made a funky vodka, I'd definitely give it a try. 
I don't think I need to explain the virtues of using fresh squeezed lime juice, always do. Which brings us to arguably the most important ingredient. If vodka is the spirit, then ginger beer is the heart of this cocktail. As seen in the horse's neck evolution, alcohol was really an afterthought. Whereas most cocktails are built to feature the spirit, vodka in this case takes a back seat to the bold flavors of citrus and ginger. But, here's another hot take. I don't like Cock and Bull brand ginger beer. That's right. I said it. I meant it. I'm here to represent it. Cock and Bull ginger beer is way too spicy. So much so that it burns the palate out immediately. I couldn't taste any of the other flavors. What's the point? It really takes away from any balance this drink has. If this is the original Cock and Bull Tavern ginger beer, then the original Moscow Mule recipe must have been different. There's no way anyone tried this drink with this ginger beer and thought, Eureka! The juxtaposition of cold in my hand and fire on my tongue, though an anomalous sensation, throws the whole experience off. So many recipes out there talk about using the spiciest ginger beer you can find. It reminds me of when people thought triple IPAs tasted good. You know the guys I'm talking about. Craft beer nerds stuffed into your skinny jeans so they look like somebody squeezed the bottom half up into their shirt. I'm not buying these macho macho men who like shit just because it's extreme. Cock and Bowl ginger beer is so overpowering that it takes away from the icy snap a Moscow mule should have. That's why whenever I need it, I use Reed's Extra Ginger or Ginger Beer. Reed's Extra Jamaican Ginger Beer. That's right, Reed's. Um, I swear, I swear they don't endorse the show, but they should. So if you guys want to send me some of that Reed's money, because it's hands down the best ginger beer available. It's got a real ginger root flavor, earthy and floral, and has just enough spice for a kick. Look, Jamaican ginger beer with some of that Jamaican smeared off. Now, that's a good time. Where Cock and Bull is bright and spicy, Reed's is deep and herbaceous. The former makes a spiked ginger beer, the latter a balanced cocktail. There's this new trend lately, whether with mixed drinks, cigars, coffee, food, etc., of telling people to ultimately enjoy it the way you like it. I take umbrage with that. Although most of my life is lived in the gray betweens, I do believe in best practices, a right and a wrong way to get the most out of an experience. Yes, I claim to be a purist, but that's in the spirit of the law rather than the letter. Make the drink how the inventor meant it to taste. If that means an original product has changed thus that it no longer renders the desired outcome, I say... Don't trip over history on your way to a good drink. Okay, that's enough of that. I'm sure you are, I'm sure some of you are quoting Billy Joel at me right now, so I will go ahead with my own life and leave you alone. P.S. Anyone out there remember when that was the theme song to a sitcom called Bosom Buddies? Where Tom Hanks dressed in drag so he can live in a woman's only apartment building? Everyone was like so shocked when Modern Family came out, but we had. Bosom Buddies, Three's Company, and Different Strokes when I was a kid. The 80s had some progressive TV. And to that, let's make a drink. A Moscow Mule is two ounces of vodka, a half ounce of lime juice, and three ounces of ginger beer. 
Add all ingredients to a copper mug, fill with ice, and stir. If you choose to garnish with a lime wedge or a wheel, I suggest using a cocktail pick rather than sticking it on the rim, just because over time the acid might ruin the outside of your mug, if you're using a real copper mug. Now, this is a libation with a wonderful first sip experience. Crisp, clean, polar, with a nuanced spice accentuated by carbonation. I'm not going to go into all kinds of tasting notes here because ginger is its own flavor. I'll just say it's bittersweet and vegetal and pairs very nice with lime. For as chill-inducing as it is, there's an excellent texture of warm ginger and soft vodka, an underlying roundness that complements the more rebellious flavors. The Moscow Mule is such a great post-holidays Heimel libation. It works wonders at brightening up those gray winter doldrums. Like the glacial snap of a passing winter wind, the Moscow Mule there but for circumstance may not have been. At least if you believe Jack Morgan, John Martin, and Sophie Berezinski. And I tend to. But there's one man who begs to differ. He offers a less romantic version. Wes Price was the head bartender at Cock and Bull in 1941. As he explains it, John had been using the basement of the bar to store his surfeit of Smirnoff, which was collecting dust alongside Jack's ambitious overstock of ginger beer. Wes contends he created the drink unceremoniously sometime in 1941 simply to clean out the basement. This version from Wes was given in a 2007 Wall Street Journal article written by Eric Felton. I'm inclined to believe that a seasoned bartender would be familiar with the popular whiskey soda drinks of the day, and swapping for vodka would be intuitive. So, this is plausible. But, in 2007, Wes, uh, let me see, where's his last name again? Wes Price. Wes Price in 2007 would have been at least in his 80s. Could this be a deathbed confession stifled by Big Mule? Or the ramblings of an old man grasping at glory? One thing is for certain, only the four people that were in the room where it happened know the truth. Jack, John, and Sophie curl around the corner of the bar at Cock and Bull, raising a copper mug in cheers. And Wes, polishing glassware, turns to the camera, gives a wink, and the credits roll. Because what the hell does the truth have to do with a great cocktail, anyway? (laughs) Till next time, folks. My name is Tony, and this is Pod Tiki. Sources for this episode can be found under the blog post at podtiki.com. Make sure to follow on, across all of our social medias. You can find Pod Tiki on Facebook, Pod underscore Tiki on Instagram, and my personal page, Rum underscore Poet on Instagram. We also have a TikTok, although with all the uh, with all the, 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 the news coming out, I don't know how much longer I'll have a TikTok. What I really want you to do is go over to YouTube and search Pod Tiki and follow our YouTube channel. We're really close to being able to go live. I need a few more subscribers, and then we can start doing some live content because I really want to talk to all you guys in person. Well, in, I guess, in digital, in digital person. 
in a, in a digital per as a digital person. But I, over the air, the interwaves. I want to talk to you all in real time over the interwaves. So I can't. I'm looking really forward to doing that. Um, also, you can catch up on all the episodes of Inside the Mug, which is my YouTube only show. So we take a little bit of behind the scenes information about the show, about the last episode, um, things like that. Talk a little bit more in depth about it. Um, I tend to be a little bit long-winded in the episodes. I'm going to try to cut back a little bit and do more behind-the-scenes content on the YouTube channel. Um, they got some really exciting things happening in the spring. Um, more info coming on that soon. Um, a, a little project I'm working on behind the scenes. Also open for anyone who is interested in advertising with the show. You can contact me. Um, you can either DM me through any of my social medias. Um, actually, that's probably the best way because my email address is my last name, and that's kind of a pain in the butt. So to, to spell, so I'll have to eat, get a hold of me somewhere on social, and I will uh, send you my email address where you can. We'll talk over the details. Make sure you also check out Surfside Sips if you. Go to SurfsideSips.com. You can order all your custom drinkware, like your straws, glass straws, um, cocktail picks, things like that. All different shapes and sizes. If you want regular, if you want some custom stuff. Um, they're always putting out new stuff too, Andrew is. So when you get your order, get your all in your cart there. And when you go to check out under the coupon area there, you know what I'm talking about, that little spot all the websites have to enter a coupon code. Well, if you go ahead and click right there and you put in pod tiki p-o-d-t-i-k-i all one word all caps well you will get 20 percent off your order and i'll get a little kickback to let um and to that lets andrew know that you heard it here on pod tiki so uh thank you for that uh tin roof cats if you are in the nashville area and you are into uh any kind of like 60s 70s music Check out the Tin Roof Cats as they do a modern interpretations of uh, Grateful Dead tunes and a few others. Um, they're not a cover band. They're more like a tribute band and um, riding that fine line between, you know, doing the original covers and adding their own flair in there. They're all incredible musicians. And why am I talking about them? Well, because my wife is the female lead singer and... Uh, you know, they're actually, I, I would watch the band even if she wasn't in it because they're amazing. Uh, there is a, lo lots of shows coming up. I don't know when this is going to come out, so I don't want to go ahead and blow up their spot on dates that might not be available yet. But I will be posting about their upcoming shows on all of my social media. So, with that being said, thank you very much for listening. Most importantly, please indulge in your tiki favors uh, responsibly. And here's looking forward to summer and Margar Margarita Day coming up next week. So here's to that. And uh, yeah, just uh, even when you're drinking a drink that might not be a tiki drink, I say always keep you tiki. Later. <laughs>